There's new strata legislation on the horizon in New South Wales, and if you own a unit, townhouse or villa, you might be impacted. So what are these new laws? What are the implications for strata owners? And is this something that multi-dwelling owners in other states and territories need to be keeping an eye on? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Awards. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. We're joined today by a long-term friend of the podcast, Amanda Farmer. Amanda is a lawyer and the owner of Lawyers Chambers, a strata-focused legal practice in Sydney. She's also the host of the long-running podcast, Your Strata Property, which happens to be the world's only podcast dedicated to explaining the legal complexities of strata-titled properties. It sounds a bit dry, but it isn't. (laughs) It's actually one of my favourite podcasts. Now, with over 20 years' experience in the strata legal sector, Amanda is both a fellow and council member of the Australian College of Strata Lawyers. She's a founder of Women in Strata, a networking group for women working in strata management, and is an increasingly in-demand speaker and educator. So thank you so much for joining us today, Amanda. We're really looking forward to this update. It's been a while since we've had a good chat. Thank you, Veronica. And thank you, Chris, for welcoming me back on the show. If my podcast sounds a bit dry, then I'm going to have to jazz up that description where it's where the fun and fancy happens with <laughs> apartment buildings. I don't know. We'll well, there's work lots on that. of stories. There's lots of stories. And I think that's that's where, where the juice comes, actually, the stories, the life, you know. So, so what is the story here, Amanda? Um, I have to admit, completely oblivious to even knowing this was happening. Uh, it's not something <laughs> that's uh, SMH on the front page of the AFR, like to talk about it too much. So, But it's important, right? You know, we just had a client today exchange on a you know, young couple, young family, they can't afford houses, right? They, it's unknown a rock here. They're going to live in an apartment. The plan is to stay in that for some time. Like, you know, most likely have multiple kids in a, a two bedroom flat, you know, um, that's so it's going to become a bigger and bigger, I don't know, part of the yeah. home buying market and people need to be more aware of it. So keeping up to date is really important. So enlighten me what's what's been announced what's going to potentially happen and yeah what's happening yeah so look it's definitely should be a big issue we've got more than two million people across the country living in strata in new south wales alone uh about a quarter of us are living in apartment buildings and that's only going to increase in 2021 there was a wholesale review of the new south wales legislation and that was a review that we had to have when we had a new uh, act come into play in 2015. We were told that within five years, we had to review that legislation. That finally happened 2021, and there were 139 recommendations for reform. And what we've seen now, essentially, the Chris Minns government in New South Wales has pushed through about 30 of those reform recommendations, really wanting to come out with a new government on the front foot, strata, pro-strata, wanting to implement these reforms quickly. And that's what we're seeing in our 2023 strata legislation amendment bill, picking up some of those things that strata owners, that managers, that industry stakeholders were saying were real pain points for our owners and trying to address those as quickly as possible. Can you fill us in just um, 
in the total legislation process. So is it normal when you've got new legislation around anything, I guess, um, that there be a review period built into that legislation? Is that a normal thing? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, I don't see it all that often. Uh, what happened in 2015 is that we had an entirely new Strata Schemes Management Act come into play in New South Wales. Lots and lots of change, a lot of new requirements, both for strata managers, the professionals who are managing these buildings, and for owners. There was a lot to get used to. There was a lot of teething to happen. And I suppose the government wants to make sure that we've got that right and that the parts that they've got wrong, which if you read the discussion paper around the reform, there's quite a bit that they've got wrong, they want to be able to have the opportunity to fix that. And regardless of who is the government of the day, the plan in putting in a, a statute, what we call a statutory review, is to make sure that review happens no matter what the politics is. So then the bureaucrats get hold of that review, the 139, I think you said, uh, mm -hmm. recommendations in there, 30-odd have been um, earmarked to be put into this legislation. Does that mean the rest gets ignored or does that get reviewed at some point? Yeah, so we're told in the uh, speech that was given to Parliament when this draft bill was put forward last month, we're told that this is just the beginning of a larger reform process. It's the first tranche of these reforms. And what the government wants to do is have some more public consultation early next year, 2024, and have a look at those further recommendations and see how they should be implemented into another round of reform. So it's just the beginning for New South Wales. You say there's a bit of chatter around the reforms already in Strata World. It's a probably a little community, not a little bit of growing community of you, but what what are some of the things that they think, hang on a sec, you put these 30 on the list, but you've gone for the easy ones. You haven't gone for the big juggernauts, the things that really will turn the dial that really need to be, you know, in that 30 that aren't. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah. So look, they've gone for the popular ones. They've gone for, I'm going to say the easy ones. We're dealing, for example, with pets and I think I've spoken on your show before about pets and the right of owners to be able to keep a pet in their home. So they, we did have new law on this a couple of years ago. What they're doing here is tweaking that law to make very clear that a building can't charge a bond or a fee to pet owners and they can't be required to get insurance for their pet because what happened was we had some Reform a couple of years ago becomes much more easy to keep an animal in your home. We're seeing a lot more people apply for permission to keep their dogs and their furry friends. And what buildings were doing was seeing this as an opportunity, perhaps A, to make some money, charging a bond or charging hundreds and hundreds, we were hearing, hundreds of dollars in fees for your pet application. And also that was becoming a real barrier for pet owners. They didn't want to pay the bond or they couldn't afford to pay the fee. And so the building was really getting around the legislation and finding a way to restrict pet ownership by charging these fees. So that was sort of an easy one, a popular one to tick off the list to say, let's let's draft a new clause in the legislation to say that's no longer going to be allowed. So you can't be denied. So let's say you apply for a, an apartment to rent it or you apply to buy, you, you're buying an apartment and you've got a dog or a cat or a bird or a snake or whatever, they can't stop you moving that pet into the building. Like yeah, so the law in New South Wales is that a building cannot unreasonably prohibit the keeping of an animal. And we've got uh, a regulation that sets out in a bit more detail 
what um, unreasonable prohibitions may be. But I say as a lawyer, when I read that, the, the bar is set really high and it's essentially, um, yeah, you can keep your snake and you can, uh, I make a joke that you can keep your man-eating lion uh, as long as it doesn't eat somebody because that's <laughs> where the, the regulations come in. It's only addressing the impact of keeping the animal rather than the fact of keeping the animal. I mean, obviously our local councils have restrictions on those kind of animals, but it really has um, broaden this opportunity for owners to keep pets in their apartments. Now, you mentioned there, Chris, tenants. Uh, in New South Wales, at least, it is still a requirement that the tenant must get the permission of the landlord in order to keep a pet, and a landlord can say no. Um, those those laws are being tightened, as I think they have been in Victoria, where a landlord really um, has to find a, a good reason to say no to a tenant. So if you're a tenant wanting to get a, keep a pet, chat to your landlord, and then the landlord speaks to the owner's corporation and gets approval through the, the owner's corporation. That's the strata building or the body corporate. What else is covered in this legislation? So we're seeing a lot of ageing buildings uh, around our country, not even just New South Wales, around our country at the moment. We've got huge weather events, climate change, flood, rain, fire. We're seeing increased construction costs. So there's this real uh, perfect storm of events in our strata world at the moment where it's incredibly expensive to repair and maintain our buildings. And interestingly, in I think in response to that, the one of the changes that is proposed is that a strata levy that is struck, we call it a strata levy that's raised for the purpose of carrying out emergency repair work can be made payable within 14 days. So our law at the moment is if you're going to have regular quarterly levies, you've got to give people at least 13 you've got to give people at least 30 days to pay those levies. If it's going to be for an emergency repair, and it doesn't matter how much it is, it could be a special levy that everyone has to contribute 10 grand, 20 grand, you can make that payable within 14 days because the work needs to be done urgently. The roof is leaking or whatever it is. Um, that's something that when I'm talking to owners, they're getting a bit panicked about saying, oh, hang on a second, I might not be able to access that money within two weeks. Yeah, it's a bit shocking, I guess. You can understand why, as a strata manager, you're thinking, you know, we need to get the roof sealed or whatever it is. The lift's not working. You know, the lift is not working. It needs to be working so somebody on the 10th floor can get to their apartment. Um, so you can understand why they would need funds quickly, uh, but that is... Um, I guess a bit of a shock. Is there a provision there for hardship? There is in a way. There is an opportunity for owners to ask for a payment plan if they're finding it difficult to pay their levies and they can ask the strata committee if they will consider a payment plan and then it's up to the committee to decide whether they will agree to that or not and what the terms of that payment plan should be. There's also the opportunity for interest to be waived, and this is a really big one. Um, interest rates are through the roof for everybody, um, but particularly in strata, the interest rate is 10%, and that is a, a statutory rate that's in our legislation. Um, so interest can soon rack up if you're not paying your levies on time. Uh, but there is a provision in the current legislation where owners can ask for interest to be waived on late levies. And essentially that is a form of payment plan because then you can pay over time and not have to worry about getting slugged with that 10%. Because I did see some headlines and I suspect that they might have been slightly sensationalist around people being forced to sell their apartments or townhouses or villas because 
they couldn't afford to pay their levies. Mm. I mean, is that a a serious problem in some sec- some areas or is that just, once again, it's one of those things where some people are suffering and it makes a good story? Look, it is happening. It is happening out there and I think uh, we're hearing more about it just, I think, because of the nature of media and it's easier for people to tell their stories. There's more interest these days in strata. As you said, Chris, more people are living in strata. Um, but our buildings are getting old. These buildings were built in the 50s, 60s, 70s. They've gone well for 20 or 30 years. Uh, sure, we have brand new buildings now with building defects, but those that were built years ago are generally pretty structurally sound. And for those first and second generation owners who bought off the developer and then maybe inherited it through their family, they haven't had to do anything to these buildings. And the law really hasn't required them to do anything to these buildings. So it's getting to the stage where these buildings are 40 and 50 years old and the roof waterproof membrane has never been replaced. The lift has never been replaced. And it's all time now for this to happen. And we now have strict laws about common property needing to be repaired and maintained, about buildings not being able to avoid that obligation or delay that obligation. And the costs are incredibly high. They're high for everyone, construction for any type of property, but particularly in strata. We have new legislation brought in by our building commissioner, David Chandler. Lots of media about the good work that he's been doing. It's great and it's raising the quality of our construction, but that new legislation also applies to older buildings and applies to remedial work. And the standard of remedial work now has to be that much higher. So guess what? It's that much more expensive. So I I see see it in my own building. I see it with owners that I'm working with. Jobs that were once $500,000 for your uh, roof and your windows are now $2 million. That's what these jobs are coming in at. And the building is getting a strata loan or they're raising a special levy for owners to contribute to. Some owners cannot afford that. And there's no way out. There's no way out of that. If you can't afford to repair your building, you can't afford to own it. So so it's interesting. A client um, yesterday has uh, been eyeing off an apartment in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Um, they're, they're having a tough time buying. I mean, it's um, a tight budget, you know, wanting to get a good asset. You know, keep getting blown out by underpricing, you know, un- un- you know underquoting and the going well over what their expectations are. Typical sort of buyer journey. Um, and they, they don't want to pay for it. Don't want to use a buyer's agent. That's okay. But, you know, money is tight for them, to be honest. And there's an apartment they're running up in the east. And this thing's got a $200,000 special levy um, that is due. That's why they're selling it, right? This thing's a good asset. Like it is great land, small blocky unit. Good. Once it's repaired, it's absolutely a top asset. Um, but it's like even the two hundred is pretty vague. You know, there's obviously there's some really they actually haven't got final quotes, haven't agreed, but it's all in the minutes, and this is coming. Like, you know, do you think this is what's obviously happened to the owner here that they're not willing to do strata finance, which I think that's what he mentioned, and the owner of that because everyone's saying we're not willing to do strata finance has to raise their own money, which they can't. So they're having to sell. Is that sort of, yeah. you know, what's happening most likely? That could be it. Is this a $200,000 levy payable by just that one lot or is it 200000 spread across the whole for building? Them. Just for them. So it is huge. Wow. Yeah, because it's it's a it's a small block of, you know, brick buildings. <clears throat> um, but yeah, and I think there's waterproofing issues and all sorts going on. Yeah. 
But, you know, it adds up, right? It's a big roof and it's a big, you know, it's a... Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying about these $2 million. I've seen $5 million rectification works projects. So what's happening there is that um, in order to raise this money, the decision has to be made at a general meeting. So that's a meeting to which all owners are entitled to attend and they all cast their votes. And what should happen in a functioning community is that there's options put to owners. We can, if we've got the money in the bank, then we can pay the, the fees out of the money that we've got. That'd be great. If we don't have the money in the bank, then we can raise a special levy and that's a one-off payment that everybody has to pay. You go and borrow from your bank or if you've got funds or whatever it is, draw down on your mortgage, you pay that in by a certain date and maybe that's payable in installments as well. And then the third option is to go and get strata finance, a strata loan. And that's a unique financial product. There's only a few lenders out there in the market who will do it. They essentially give you a loan. Uh, there's no security. There's no mortgage on your title. There's no mortgage on the common property. The security is that levies are then raised for years down the track to repay the interest and the principal on that loan. The interest rates on those loans, um, even compared to today's interest rates, are, are very high. So they're getting up to that 10 and 12% mark as well for those loans. Um, so put those options to owners and then owners vote on which option they want to go with. So it's sounding like in this building... Uh, and it's only a majority vote. So the majority who are attending yeah. that meeting have decided that they will pay that 200 grand out of their own pockets and not get a strata loan. And that's an issue, isn't it? Because if you don't go to your meeting, yeah. you know, or you're not aware of what's what's being proposed, you could have this impost, you know, and, and I've heard the story many, many, many times about buyers who've bought a strata building and then a month later, they get slapped with a special levy. They had no idea it was on the horizon because they don't know how to do their due diligence or they didn't understand what was missing from the, the strata report or, or whatever. Yep. And and it's like a lot of this stuff is discoverable even if you have to look for the hints. And and often it is in the hints, uh, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. But we've had these conversations before around, you know, what's in the strata report. But but it is interesting that, you know, that this this – Time period, so legislation included, what's included in this legislation is that shortening of the time period when that's due and payable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of interesting too because, you know, Chris, you were talking about that experience and I think about a small block and obviously with a small block and a lot of uh, a lot of rhetoric in, in property investment circles is, you know, it's a good idea to buy in a small block on a nice big parcel of land mm-hmm. because land is where the value is. And, and this yep. is, it's a quite a simplistic way of looking at uh, an asset and because, of course, there are pros and cons with, with all of these things, you've got less people to share the cost with. We talk about that with our clients when we're looking at a small building and we want to know, has that building got a good history of maintaining it and, and, a, and a consistent investment in their capital works fund and consistent investment in maintaining the building? Because a lot of these older buildings were owned by, you know, back in the 60s, you know, people downsize they sold the family home and downsized into an apartment and then they're on a pension like they didn't mm. have a lot of money to be contributing to sinking funds or that's what they were previously known as or and then you had investors buy into them and they didn't really want to be putting a lot of money in sinking funds either because that er- erodes their cash flow and and uh, their income from their investment so you can see how there's a history in many of these buildings of a lack of investment in the general maintenance and upkeep of it so i imagine this is really where it's all coming home to roost is that what you're talking about yeah, absolutely. It's this moment in time. They, what's pushing a lot of buildings to finally do work that they've put off for a long time as well is the insurers. The insurers yeah. now will not right. renew insurance policies. The premiums have gone sky high or they'll only give them a short-term policy, three or six months. And they're saying, we will not 
give you a longer policy. We will not reinsure you until you get this work done. So what's happening is these buildings are saying, we don't have a choice. I mean, that, in my view as a lawyer, they've never had a choice. The law is you got to repair and maintain. <laughs> but if nobody's suing them, then they take their sweet time. But now they can't get building insurance and legally they must have building insurance. So this is the insurance industry as well, bolting on to these problems that Strata has. And insurance is hard to get in all sorts of sectors at the moment. But this is the impact that it's having in Strata. We we interviewed Karen Stiles a few weeks back and, and she did raise that. Yeah. And so this is uh, good to be talking yeah. about because I wondered how did the insurance company come to understand that the building needs major work? Yeah, there's a mandatory disclosure. You must disclose. Yeah, so the strata manager who's the professional who's doing all the, the books and records and is filling in forms, when they go to get their quotes and we get three quotes I uh, try to get three quotes from insurers. A lot of buildings these days can't even get one quote and or get they just get one from their current insurer and that's it. Um, you <laughs> must fill in a form that requires you to disclose what's going on in the building. Is there any outstanding maintenance work? Are there orders from the tribunal to do work? Is there a claim by owners in the tribunal? Um, and, and that disclosure is made and that impacts your premium and indeed your ability to even get insurance. If you can't get insurance, what happens? Well, you've breached the law. Um, you can seek an exemption, go to the tribunal and try and seek an, an exemption. Um, but it, it's a very scary situation, I say, for a mm. building. I've, I've spoken to some strata managers who've actually um, gone to non-strata industry insurers, uh, overseas insurers. Uh, I, I think eventually you will find somebody, but the question is how much right. is it going to be? I've heard of buildings with million-dollar premiums that are getting strata loans to pay their insurance premium. My God, because that's all they can get. So this a definite impetus to actually then instead spend the money that's upgrading it. your building. But that's sort of you got it coming from both directions there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's um how big a problem is this? Do you think it's a huge problem? It's absolutely a, a huge problem. Um, and you know there there is work being done in the insurance area to at least try and talk about these things. Um, I've spoken to insurance um, experts on my podcast. John Trowbridge is one of them who has done a a report into uh, insurance practices in the strata sector, looking at things like commissions and broker fees and looking at the impact that those issues may have on rising premiums. Uh, But I mean, really, that's only part of the story, but it's one that we have been having in, in the strata space. So what else is we looking? At, is this legislation looking at? Yeah, so you mentioned there, Veronica, the need for owners to be informed, to be going to their meetings, and I really um, echo that. And there is a recognition in our proposed new legislation that owners need more time before going to a meeting. They need more time to read the documents for the meeting. They need more time to understand the agenda. And so where we currently have a law that says uh, meeting notices go out seven days before the meeting, owners must have at least seven days notice. The proposed change is that for annual general meetings, our AGMs that buildings must have at least once a year, the meeting documents go out two weeks before. And there's a a bit of talk in the uh, speech that was given to parliament about how important those meetings are. Contracts are going to be renewed at those meetings for a strata manager, for a building manager, Uh, levies are going to be raised, loans are going to be entered into, 
And owners are sometimes getting these notices the night before the meeting because they only need seven days notice and they're just, they're not reading it. They're not turning up to the meeting and they're not engaging in that decision-making process. So uh, I think that's a good thing that they have more time with their meeting agendas. Uh, It does put a burden on our strata managers who are sending these documents out. You're now going to have to be planning your meetings um, six weeks in advance because you've got to have two weeks with the documents in the owner's hands and it takes two weeks to get something through the mail these days. So um, more of an administrative burden there for our managers. Well, it doesn't everyone on email. I mean, my goodness. Um, I'm interested too, like on that, because I know that there's something in there about digital record keeping. Yeah. Now, I'm really astounded every time we get a strata report for a a property we're looking at buying for a client, even myself in the strata property I own in. I mean, seriously, why can't, in this modern day and age, why can't have a portal that we can log into, we can easily get the minutes, we can work out when the next meeting's on? Like, um, I, I'm astounded that that as running a business, there's not yeah. more appetite for this. Why does it need to be legislated? But can you fill us in on, on I guess, what's happening in this particular space and um, why did it even need to be? You know, one of the 139 points, really. Yeah. So what the change is, uh, again, one that I support, as you do, Ronica, uh, owners' corporations, the the body corporates, must keep their records in electronic form. So that's never been said before, has never been legislated before. And yes, there were plenty of buildings uh, and managed buildings. So buildings that have a professional strata manager that still had paper documents and you couldn't log into a portal and look at things. And I am just as frustrated as you are by that. Look, strata management is and has been for a long time stuck in the dark ages. Strata managers were born of real estate agents. The real estate agent had the the rent roll and then had the the strata portfolio as well on the side. And it was just a little side thing that they did to get a bit of extra monthly recurring revenue into their business. It was never, um, for a long time, was not a separate profession. It's certainly not something that Young people come out of university saying, I want to be a strata manager out of school, saying, I want to be a strata manager. Um, So it's been an industry that's been ripe for disruption for a long time. There's not a lot of people doing a lot of creative things in this space. And that's why we have to have legislation that's kind of forcing these uh, stragglers, you know, plenty of very professional strata management companies out there, but there are stragglers out there forcing them into the real world. And yeah, I'm going to have to keep everything electronically. Amanda, is there anything changing with like new builds and the, you know, future builds and the conflicts around selecting strata managers and, you know, I mean, even just on the SMH today, you know, there's 3,000 apartments in Macquarie Park, you know, Mins is on a bit of a mission to rezone and, um, you know, some high density hotspots and, you know, the, the approval buttons getting hit. Like, are we, are we at a good opportunity now before the next wave of developments to change legislation to better protect future owners and renters? Yeah. So, I mean, the big discussion in the new build space has been building defects and for a long time has been building defects. And what protections do we have in place for those who are buying off the plan to make sure that they're buying into quality? Um, and and a lot of good work's been done there by David Chandler. And it does tie into this uh, electronic documents and records discussion because what he's done is develop new legislation where everything has to be lodged through an electronic portal and through an electronic platform. So all of the plans for the buildings, all of the diagrams, all of the 
uh, construction drawings, all of the as-built plans, they all now for new buildings are going to be electronic. And that really helps owners to understand, uh, A, what they're buying and B, when something goes wrong, how mm. should it have been built? What was what was the original plan? And I was just talking to an owner today. Um, her, her new bu- building missed that boat. And so they don't have the electronic plans and she's gone to council and all I've got are the architectural drawings. So she doesn't even know if what she's looking at is what was legally approved by council. So yeah, so there's been work in that space in, in New South Wales to bring all of that up to scratch. So at the press of a button, you should be able to have um, what Chandler calls this this single source of truth. Uh, how is it that the building was supposed to be built? Um, the Strata Hub is working towards that direction as well. So that's something we have in New South Wales where there is every year a building has to report certain information to the Office of Fair Trading and that gets recorded on what we're calling the Strata Hub. And that's information like who are your committee members? What are their names and their contact details? Who is your strata manager? Who is your building manager? Do you have a, a bylaw about pets? Uh, we're, we're working towards reporting what's the balance of your capital works fund. So actual buildings actually having to report how much money they've got set aside. Um, that information is being reported, but it's not being made public at the moment. What? What about a copy of their Capital Works Fund forecast? Um, yep. Not not that all of them are worth more than the paper they're written on, but, um, you know, we know that buildings have to, um, you know, get it for starters and they have to review it. It has to be revised every five years, I think that's yeah, correct. Yeah, you got it, yeah. Um, I see a lot of buildings that got one done 12 years ago and have never had a revision. Um, so that's a, that, that should be a no-brainer, I would think. Um, because, you know, just to, even just to compare what their balance is versus what's recommended and is, is it up to date, there's sort of a couple of things that we look at whenever we're looking at the just, just tip of the iceberg really, but a few of the, the many things that we look at. Um, there's also a new Strata Commissioner. Now, I was going yes. uh, to talk to you about that at the end of this, um, you know, once we've gone through all the legislation, but it's probably a good time to mention it really given that yeah. there's – uh, change on this side and obviously the building commissioner David uh, Chandler has been so effective on the defect side of things what what is the new strata commissioner real what's what's his mandate what, what's his uh, what's his job description huh, that's a good question John Mins, right that, that, uh, his name is John Mins yes he was the property services commissioner and has now uh, up leveled to become both the strata and property services commissioner so we didn't get a distinct separate role, which I think some people were a bit disappointed about, someone who was solely devoted to strata, something that we've really been begging for in New South Wales for quite some time. But uh, I know John and he, that is a question that I will be asking him on my podcast in a few weeks' time when we have a chat. Um, Look, I think it was an election promise by uh, Chris Minns and no relation to John Minns, by the way, just coincidence that they have the same last name. Um, and we're, we're happy to see that come through. Um, the reform, the New South Wales reform, legislative reform, I think will be the main thing that's on his agenda and consulting with owners and with industry about how we can improve our legislation. Um, I know the last time I had a, a, an off the record chat with him, I was really focused on this repair and maintenance issue. When he asked me what the big challenge was, I said, it's these aging buildings and it's these owners who are suffering with Mm. these $2 million bills. And that's why you're seeing media reports about people having to sell or being bankrupted. So a lot of media as well about bankruptcies and whatever the figure was, 5% of all bankruptcies are unpaid strata levies. Um, that's That's a dirty mark on our industry. And if that's what's 
happening, then that needs to be looked at more closely as well why that's happening. So um, I think he's got a long list. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower north shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. If you're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly get the finance right. Please reach out via our website wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Yes. Okay. Well, well, I shall wait for that interview of yours. Maybe we should try and get him on here too. I want to talk to him about a few other things about, you know, real estate licenses and stuff like that. Yes, Sorry, that's but him. That's He's a, your man. That's a totally different topic. <laughs> He's the man. Yeah. All right. So... What what else what's what else is on the list the hit list in these um, well, this legislation? If anyone has been on a strata committee before, or maybe had a run in with their strata committee, uh, may understand the conflict that that can bring, the emotion around that, and sometimes owners want to get rid of their strata committee members, not not bump them off completely, but to actually remove them from their positions. And when they come to me and say, Amanda, how do we do that? Is there a legal way to do that? I say, oh, look, it's it's really hard to do. You have to pass a special resolution at a general meeting, which is a, a super majority. You have to get voting in favor of kicking the strata committee out, or you have to get an order of the tribunal. And I can tell you, I have never seen the tribunal make that order. Well, there's been a lot of talk about people having trouble, obviously, with their strata committees. And so what the new legislation says is that a strata committee member can be removed from their office with a simple majority resolution at a general meeting. So you only need just a little bit more than 50% of people to put their hand up and say, yeah, we think Bob is doing a bad job. He's conflicted. He's self-interested. He's paying himself out of our trust account. He's got to go. You can get you can achieve that with a majority resolution. And also, Bob can't be on the committee wow. for one year. So he's suspended for a year, can't get back on. That's one. When I saw that, I went, oh, that's exciting. I'm often asked by owners, <laughs> how do we get rid of our committee members and make sure they can never serve on the committee again? And I say, yeah, well, you can't do that. Well, now you can suspend them for a year. Uh, after a year, depending on how dogged they are they, they may try to get back on it again but I guess you can you've got time to garner support from others and that's and it perhaps block that the regime change yeah it's an interesting one but also uh, I noticed that there's actually uh because in in a normal strata building right in New South Wales anyway you can have maximum nine committee members correct yep that's so it. Uh, but community title and and those bigger complexes they are a whole nother level I mean I saw one complex one with 17 different strata managers as part of it, as strata complex, hang on, strata schemes, get yep. my terminology right, 17 strata schemes as part of one giant complex. Like what a behemoth. Yeah, behemoth is a how you say it. And then you'll have another, you'll have a couple of different managements, uh, management committees within that, right? So there's some changes to how many can be on that, yeah. I understand. Yes. 
So you're absolutely right. We have huge communities like that in Sydney. I think of Jackson's Landing, which has got in Piermont, which has got 22 subsidiary schemes, we call them, whether they're strata buildings uh, or other types of developments. Um, Breakfast Point is another big one. Uh, so they have community associations is the overarching body that governs all of those uh, subsidiaries. And the community association has an executive committee. And that executive committee has been limited to nine representatives, which makes no sense when you've got these other buildings, you might have 20 other buildings and they should all have a say, they should all be represented. So what's proposed, uh, this is an amendment to the community schemes legislation. We can, when the legislation goes through, we'll be able to have 15 members on a community association committee, um, which is great. More voices being heard, more representation, but again, a, a huge administrative task for those who are convening meetings, who are writing minutes, who are notifying committee members to deal with 15 committee members. That's going to be uh, a whole lot of fun for our strata and community managers. So there's pros and cons, but like if you've got 20 subsidiary, um, what do you call them? Subsidiary bodies. Yeah. bodies 22, then you can have maximum 15 representatives. So there's still seven that's going to miss out. Yep. Um, it's a, and then it's pretty unwieldy having 15 committee members. Yeah. So it's an interesting and just one. just a reminder to anyone who's listening who sort of is not as au fait with the strata world as we are, these are people who are serving on these committees, who are running these places. These are people, everyday people. People who have mm. no special skills, no mm. experience, no qualifications, no training. Yes, they might employ a professional strata manager or building manager, and they absolutely should. But otherwise, they are managing multi-million dollar budgets in some cases. And uh, they're doing that uh, at night at 11 p.m. when they log into their email account, answer their emails with a glass of wine in their hand, and try not to defame anybody when they're replying to emails. And they're volunteers. Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> So it's a big ask. It's a really big ask. And um, our buildings are getting more complex. The more burdens are then being placed on owners who are hands-on on their committees. And that could be another reason why, you know, the cracks literally are starting to show. Mm. There's a bit of a um, rhetoric story going around that investors are, you know, n- you know due to legislation change, more tenant-friendly laws, et cetera, that, you know, it doesn't make sense to buy investment properties, right? Like that's one of the reasons we're having a rental crisis that it's legislation change or it's consistent legislation change that's pro-tenant. Um, what's your take on that in the strata world? Do you think that, you know, that investors are, need to be more careful with the building they're buying into, that, you know, that these tenant laws are making it harder for them or is it really just an easy way out? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I have thought about this a bit recently. I was talking um, on my Facebook page and also on my own podcast about some successful tenant claims against landlords in strata. And this is part of this perfect storm of events, of course, is that if you've got a leaky building and uh, it becomes wet, the unit becomes wet, moldy, wet carpet, water's coming through the balcony doors, coming through the roof, whatever, your tenant is going to start complaining about that and say, hang on a second, I have rights as a tenant to live in a dry, safe place that's free of mold. That's not happening. I want a rent reduction or I'm going to break my lease, or I'm just not going to pay rent because this place is uninhabitable. So that's a claim that the tenant makes against the landlord. That has nothing to do, that that claim has nothing to do with strata. However, in these cases that are going before the tenancy tribunal, the landlords are saying, well, there's nothing we can do about it because we're waiting for strata to fix it. 
We're waiting for the owners corporation to raise this $2 million levy. We're waiting for owners to pay it. They won't do it. So there's nothing I can do about it. I'm doing the best I can. Tenancy tribunal says, we don't care what Strata's doing or not doing, not our problem. You've got a contract, a lease with your tenant. You're obliged to meet these legal obligations. So tenants are being awarded. One case I looked at a couple of weeks ago, tenant was awarded $14,000 as um, a retrospective rent reduction. Landlord had to pay that. Now, what most landlords don't know is that you can actually claim your losses. You're an owner, you're a landlord, you can claim your losses from the owner's corporation. So where you have lost money because of a failure to repair and maintain the common property, you can claim that from the owner's corporation. So what we're seeing is part of a landlord's loss is now lost rent or rent reductions or claims other claims by tenants for damaged goods. Those landlords can then claim against the owner's corporation. So these buildings, not only do they have to spend the money fixing the problem, they may also be paying out damages claims brought by landlords who have suffered from their tenant through their tenant's claims. Um, so to, I'm not sure what the answer to your question is, but landlords absolutely need to be across all of this, but they mm. do have rights. They have some fairly entrenched rights to be able to make those claims. Um, tenants are becoming more savvy and more aware of their rights as well. But in the strata context, I mean, aside from that, they're, they're really not, they don't have a, a voice at a meeting or the ability to really affect any change at the, at the owner's corporation level. It's interesting because it does take, quite a while to get to the cause of of often water leaks and then to work out who, what the problem is, what's the solution, raise the money, find the right contractors to do the work, book it in, do it, et cetera, et cetera, especially in an environment of ri- rising rising costs and, and mm. um, a shortage of, of labour. So there's sort of like this um, situation that in a way is stacked against a, a, a quick resolution despite the fact you might be able to soon get your money through special levies in boarding days being able to actually spend that money um in in a timely fashion is is another challenge right so i guess it's just a reflection and and cause for pause if we like and to understand the some of the challenges of um living in strata and owning in strata and and i think too you know, certainly when we're looking at evaluating a building um, to purchase into, we are trying to work out, you know, does history tell us, give us red flags and give us a, a, some warnings? Um, and you're looking at not only history of the maintenance, as I mentioned earlier, you want to see a history of them actually looking after their asset, but you also want a history of how do they deal with things when they come up? You know, so some buildings, you you can see very clearly, they, they have a history of raising special levies, uh, which says to me that they don't necessarily plan things. And you see other buildings that are run like corporations and they've got, you know, they've got strategic plans, they've got the whole the whole gamut, right? And you think, yes, I get so much confidence in reading those sort of strata reports. And it comes back to what you're talking about before. You've got committees that are not experts in this space. They're not experts in, in building management or, or um, uh, just buildings generally quite often. And obviously strata, bigger buildings require, uh, they're more complex so, and then you've got a strata industry that I guess hasn't necessarily been trained in these specific areas either. So you've yep. got, and they're not necessarily paid pr- accordingly to True. to be able to to provide that advice. So you've you've got this sort of big asset, big expensive, valuable, and potentially costly asset, and the people making decisions aren't necessarily the best equipped to be driving. You know, driving the ch- driving the um, the agenda, right? 
So having said all that, you know, how does somebody, you know, does this Lynn new legislation help take that in further in the direction of, of making this better or in an environment of rising costs? I mean, the, it, does the real solution lie in actually upskilling strata managers more and therefore they can charge more and who's going to want to pay? Yeah, look, I, I, I think that is a big part of it, upskilling strata managers and we as an industry have been saying that for a long time um we're told that there's steps in that direction to for strata managers to become more professional um john mins can talk to you about the licensing changes that have happened and more focus on more quality professional development and training for our strata managers but it's just a it's that's just a small um part or, or one component of what you've articulated there, Veronica, is a is a big wide-ranging problem. And often the people who are left to make decisions about how to spend money and how to fix a building are the last the last men standing at the AGM who get picked on to, to be on the committee or they've been on the committee for many, many years and the only ones who are willing to put their hand up or um, they don't they might be new owners who don't really know what they're getting into. Um, so, so that's a worry as well. I mean, some people say, I've heard some people say what we need is a structure far more corporatized, as you say, where there are professional full-time committee members who come in and get appointed to a building and then make that decision as you do if you were paid to sit on a board, um, make those decisions with all expertise and, and qualification. Um, that is what strata managers were intended to be essentially, I mean, they're, they're not decision makers. They are there to guide and to advise. Ultimately, the building makes the decision. But, um, you know, it's something that I've said, I don't think that will ever happen, that buildings, because they're people's homes, um, that the government would ever legislate for there to be a, a professional paid to sit on your committees and make those decisions. But I can see the value in that. I really can. Yeah. It's a tough one, though, isn't it? Like anything, you got to pay for it. And yep. We don't like to pay for things we've never had to pay for before. So no, you're paying one true. way or the other. If you don't pay through dollars, you're going to be paying through inconvenience or dollars otherwise. Yeah, time. Or, or, yep. Yeah, yeah. Amanda, do you, do you advise your clients to, um, when they're buying strata buildings, to do their own building and pest? Like, I mean, you know, often people look at the strata report and they'll go there, but do you think that, you know, with all these new legislations, with all these building issues that are, you know, you're best to actually just try to you know look ahead and see if you can spot things that could be an issue and pay for outside yeah. help that, you know, they can see warning signs because they've seen lots of apartment buildings and go, look, it's not on the strike report yet. It's not on the minutes, but I just know these type of buildings are going to have these problems and at some point, and maybe it's five, 10 years down the road. And this one looks like, as you know, it's getting closer to that point. Like, is it worth investing that money? And, you know, cause a lot of people just bypass that building and pest for apartments, right? They look at the strata, they look at the minutes. It all looks fine. It's well maintained. Let's just go ahead. But it's getting more and more risky, right? So yeah, definitely. what's your thoughts? Look, it's something that I absolutely would encourage new homeowners to, or those looking at purchasing in Strata to do. Uh, I don't do any conveyancing anymore, but if I'm asked that question, yes, do your Strata inspection of the books and records, but also do that building and pest. Why? Because I then work with clients on the other end who have bought this nice shiny new apartment uh, it could be riddled with building defects that weren't otherwise identified anywhere else, but it could be an older building 
where there's been a bathroom renovation done. And the minute you do a bathroom renovation and you change the original waterproofing, the original tiles, that area is no longer the responsibility of the owner's corporation. You've interfered with it, right? So there might be a renovation that's been done and it's not on the records and there's no bylaw that that gives approval for that renovation. And then you buy in, a few months later, there's a leak and it's a leak from your bathroom to downstairs. And you didn't know about it. The owner's got you think, oh, well, it's common property. It's a waterproof membrane. The, the owner's corporation should be responsible for that. They send someone in. They say, hang on a sec. This is a new bathroom. This was done three years ago. It was a dodgy job done by that contractor. We're not going to touch it. Now, that's something that might be able to be revealed if you have a builder going in there who knows what they're doing and has a look at the joint before you buy. So for that reason, I think it's a great exercise to do. We, we've got uh, we're looking at a property at the moment for a client and, and a little bit similar. It's like we can see that when it was last sold, it had one bathroom and now it's got two. It's been split in two. One's become an ensuite. Great. Very sensible. I'd love to do it myself. I think that's a really good thing to do. So then you go, look, where's the bylaw? Oh, there's none. Go to the agent. Just wondering if the owner can provide any evidence that they got this approved through Strata before doing it. Um oh no, the owner is the chair of the owner's corporation, so he would have done it by the book. Absolutely. They're, they're the ones that always do it by the book, aren't they? <laughs> I know. And I'm going, that's fabulous because when they sell, I'm presuming they're not going to be the chair anymore and I'm presuming that they won't retrospectively be able to approve it. So you know, it's just <laughs> like, that makes it even worse just quietly. Yeah. But um, it's quite common and it's one of the things, like flooring is another one that we if yes. you've got timber flooring down and there's no approval for that, it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't and want to buy that one. That, yeah, exactly. If you've got the right people advising you, you can sort that out before you sign the contract because you can put a term in the contract that requires the owner, the vendor, to, to sort all of that out before settlement. And that's you can make your settlement conditional upon the bylaw being in place or the flooring being approved. There's an easy way to solve that. But if you sign that contract on the auction day or you know, without going and talking to someone who knows something about strata, you're going to miss that opportunity. That's exactly right. So, yeah, the building pest inspection might help with that. The challenge with building and pest inspections on strata buildings is that if they're small enough, if they're small buildings, particularly like an Art Deco building or something like that, you know, they often got timber floors, you know, they've got, they were built on stumps, you know, like you can go out there and a builder can, even though they've only got access to one lot, they can see enough of the rest of the building to get a good sense of where problems may lie. But in a larger complex where they've only got access to one lot, there's, it's very limited and also a multi-level complex. It's quite difficult for a building inspector to be able to um, to give much you know, over and above. I mean, there was one particular building that we looked at some years ago where there was a sep- the garages were in a separate building to the rest. In fact, I've had this twice. Um, the garages were in a separate structure to the, the apartment building. You know, there's old red brickers with the separate garages and um, in both cases, there was concrete cancer in the roof. One was sort of manageable and, you know, we got some estimates in terms of could see whether they were on top of it, et cetera, et cetera, and were satisfied that it was worthwhile going ahead with the other one. The, um, the inspector said something along the lines of, and I paraphrase, I'm surprised this garage building hasn't slid down the cliff yet. <laughs> So, but it will. Nothing to do with concrete <laughs> cancer, of course. But, you know, you just think, yeah. oh, this, glad we got that building inspection. So there are definitely times when it's worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, it's a good Didn't tip. Didn't buy that property. Yeah, did not buy that property. 
Property Dumbo for us, Amanda. I'm sure there's been another one Property popping up Dumbo. recently. Property Dumbo, all right. We need to lighten the mood a bit because I feel like, you know, we chat about yes. Strata a fair bit and I like to eventually come around to, look, it's not all doom and gloom and it, there's, there's um, good stuff there too and I still think people should buy and invest in Strata. Anyway, that, that's not where I'm going today, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but I do want to share a, an amusing story. I do a bit of education with uh, Strata managers and I talk about uh, renovation work and what do you do when an owner does work illegally? They don't get approval before they do the bathroom renovation or they just start building something in the back courtyard. What are your options? And in delivering some of this education a few months ago, I stumbled across a case where uh, an owner had decided that he wanted a bit of entertainment during lockdown. So this was a 2020 um, case and he had his kids staying with him. They were bored. They're not at school. We're in the middle of the homeschooling. And he decided that he had a nice um, courtyard area that was connected to the the common area as well. And he built in that area uh, a skate ramp. Built a skate ramp, and uh, no permission, no approval. Didn't didn't bother to chat to anyone about it before he did. And ultimately, the committee asked him, um, "Sorry, don't really want skate ramp in our back courtyard. Can you remove it?" He didn't. And he ended up in the tribunal. And what he said to the tribunal was, but everybody can enjoy it. It's there. It's accessible. I've made the area really nice. I've, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit of a landscaper by trade. I've done some nice gardens. It's lovely. It's so much better than it was. And everyone saw me doing it. They were walking past every day. They didn't tell me to stop. They didn't have any issue with it. And ultimately, the tribunal said, um, too bad, so sad. You don't have approval for your skate ramp or your lovely new garden bed. It's all got to come down and come out. And by the way, you're also going to get fined $500 for breaching the bylaws. So um, that's where that one ended up. Uh, the poor sir during lockdown and his kids had to pack up their skateboards. I can, the noise must have been so irritating. I could just imagine you, you're stuck at home all day. Everyone else in the block stuck in, stuck in there all day and the kids are out there with that, that skateboarding noise. <laughs> <laughs> but it and is just amazing. they're pretty to look at, aren't they? It's amazing what people think. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea about, but people saw me doing it. It's like people are scared to speak. It's so, when somebody's so brazen, they're like, oh, I just don't even know what to say to them. And this is the thing about Strata. These people are your neighbours. They're the people who you see every day. It's not like some corporate nobody um, dispute that you might have where it's all just paperwork and and lawyers and phone calls. No, you're actually, at the end of the day, you're going home and you're walking past that person. You're parking your car next to them. You're having to uh, sit next to them in a meeting. And this is why the conflict is so much more difficult to resolve. Um, and that's also part of the reason why. I love Strata Law. Because you like resolving conflicts or you like complications? <laughs> I, I like the complications. I like the interesting people and I like that in order to be a good lawyer, you've got to be across that. You've got to be in tune with that. You've got to understand. I'm often talking to owners and I'm saying, okay, so I hear that it was, you know, they've breached this bylaw about the parking, but is that what's really going on here? And then you find out that somebody didn't invite somebody else to the Christmas party and then they brought the wrong bottle of wine and then this one asked that his wife on a date and then she got upset and whatever it is. And I love it. I so love it's the straight, strata therapy. I often say what we do is property therapy. Sounds like you're, you're on the same sort of <laughs> sli- <laughs> slightly more fraught. you got to be. 
It reminds me of a story of a client, actually. It was like a couple of years ago in Melbourne and they had like a communal garden in the site, in the center of an apartment block. And, you know, he wanted to basically tidy it up and make it a bit nicer and plant some plants in there and all the others in the apartments in that communal area on the ground floor. We're like, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, we're all for it. But he didn't get it, like all the other ones above didn't sort uh, of approve it. And so he slugged himself out for a weekend, made it all nice. Like, you know, he made it way better. He covered all the costs. Like it was, you know, he yeah. did it quite cheaply. It's the same guy we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And um, then he done it. And then they said, we don't like it. Take it back to how it was. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens. It happens. And he was like, well, everyone agreed, but he got everyone on the ground floor agreed and everyone liked it, like on the ground floor. But the people above said, oh, we don't like looking at that. Like he didn't speak to us. And he was like, oh, I didn't think of that. See, common <laughs> sense is not the law. That's yeah, what no. you have to remember. The property dumbos out there, common sense is not the way yeah. it goes. You think it should work Common that way. sense isn't that common either. And there's it, that you know. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda. Great My chat. pleasure. Thank you. Always fun. Always fun. Uh, we do have another, uh, a number of other episodes where Amanda has come along and spoken to us. We'll put them in the show notes. So if you want to hear more from Amanda, then check the show notes for those episodes. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.